Growing up, I picked leche flan over other desserts because one, it is ridiculously delicious, and two, I wanted to show that even if I didn't quite look like my mother's family, I was a part of them. I started cooking Filipino food as a way to connect with my family's culture. Adobo? Check. Sinigang? No problem. Leche flan, on the other hand, evaded my efforts. It curdled, it bubbled, it emerged with a tire-like texture. I became quietly transfixed by the idea that producing the perfect leche flan would give me, after all these years, some sort of credit. Welcome to My Family Recipe, brought to you by Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. My name is Arthi Menon, and I'm your host. I'm also the lead editor of the original essay series on Food52. A big warm welcome if you're joining us for the first time, and welcome back if you're returning for another episode. We're very excited to have you join us as we dive into some much-loved family recipes and all the memories and stories that surround them. We're very excited to have Giselle Krashenfels join us on this episode. Giselle is a home cook, a writer, and currently back at school. Two years ago in 2019, she published an essay in the My Family Recipe column titled The Leche Flan That Helped Three Generations of Women Find Their Way. It's one family story in 12 egg yolks and a river of caramel sauce, a custody dessert that represents the journeys of her grandmother, then mother, and eventually herself. As a second-generation Filipina-American, Giselle's relationship with her heritage and identity has been as complex as her grandmother's recipe for leche flan. I'm very excited for our conversation today, so welcome, Giselle. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Giselle, you begin your essay by pointing out that leche flan doesn't exactly stand out on a table of desserts but it is delicious and especially meaningful to you. Tell us about what it has meant to your grandmother, your mother, and yourself. I think that leche flan for all three of us is really inseparable from family. It's not really a dish that you would end up eating by yourself, 12 egg yolks and a whole can of condensed milk. But it featured very prominently in family-centered and and group-centered activities at parties, anniversaries, Christmas, Thanksgiving. So I think in the end, it, for all three of us, has such a strong connotation of love and community and being surrounded by your loved ones. Of course, food has the power to transport us in a way that other aspects of our day-to-day lives cannot. And you say about your grandparents in the essay, and I quote, I don't think the luxury of feeling at home was something that ever crossed their minds. Can you talk a little bit about how Filipino cuisine has allowed your family to create a home away from home? One of the things Filipino food has meant to my family, especially my mom and my grandparents, was consistency. No matter what new challenges living in a new place held, one thing you could count on is for the food to be consistently delicious. Part of cooking and sharing this food with new friends, family members was a part of creating a new home. To share food with other people is kind of like sharing a part of yourselves with them. And I think that comes with the uh, challenge of making a new home. 
And you speak of how Leche Flan became your mother's way of introducing herself, your mother who was a first-generation Filipino-American. It became her way of introducing herself to new neighbors at work, in unfamiliar environments. And you write about this, and I quote, I don't think the luxury of feeling at home was something that ever crossed their minds. Tell us a little bit more about that. My mom worked as a nurse in in North Carolina and in California. And I know that, for example, Leche Flan is one of the things that she would always bring for her coworkers when they had an office party. And she will admit herself, she can be a bit shy sometimes in new social, you know, big, big gatherings of people she doesn't know. But I think on occasions like that, it's really her letting her food speak to herself and people try it. They're always like, what is this? Like, it, you know, I haven't tried this before. It's great. And they want to, they want to know more and they want to talk to who made it. So I think in that case, it's an excellent way to meet people. I think when she made it for lots of my school functions, um, when we have different like culture nights or like kind of school assignments, it was a way of her introducing where she came from and showing people a little bit of her background all without really having to say a thing. Yeah, a way to transport them back to her home and culture without really taking them anywhere at all. And I love that, the power of new foods and new flavors to open a window to other cultures and experiences. One difference between you, Giselle, and your mother that you write about is that you're lighter skinned than her and can often pass as white. And how this has resulted in very different life experiences for you. Can you tell us a little bit about that and also the questions that it led you to ask about your identity? As the essay goes into, I'm I'm mixed. I'm half Filipino and half um, European ancestry. So I pass for white most of the time. I would say I'm like pretty ethnically ambiguous looking. And I think it's given an interesting lens in terms of like seeing how different my mom or my aunts or my grandparents' experiences are. And growing up as a little kid, I always wanted to look more like them. Just, you know, when you're a child, you want to be just like the people in your life that you love. Yeah. And as I got older, I realized that, you know, me having both my mom and my dad's features actually paved the way for a much easier life, so to say, in terms of how people view me and speak to me or make assumptions about me. You acknowledge in the essay as well that many people may write you off as part of sort of a a snowflake generation to be able to think so deeply and worry this much about identity. But you also observe that the struggle for establishing identity is really a gift that's afforded to you by the courage and strength of the generations previous to yours. Why do you think these questions and conversations around identity matter so much? I think these conversations are so important because we're living in a world where, one, I think there are more and more people who are of mixed or biracial or multiracial ancestry who have 
you know, similar, similar questions or perhaps feelings of not being quite sure where they belong. And as, as time moves on, I imagine this will only become more common. And I think also with our parents' generation, our grandparents' generation really shouldering the burden of not all, but some of the harsher aspects of integrating or assimilating or, you know, an appearance thereof. Mm. It's wonderful and terrible in a way to have the, the space and the room to ask these questions about yourself and to look for the answers if, if there are any. I think that identity is both a product of how other people see you, but then also how you see yourself. And that's something I know I'm still trying to work through. Ultimately, after several attempts, you successfully make Leche Flan and you're happy with the result of it. And there's a moment of self-reflection in which you realize that perhaps this dessert isn't the official badge that you were looking for. It isn't the badge that will declare that you're Filipina, but it does lead you to make a realization that is perhaps even more telling of your connection to Filipino culture. Tell us about how making this flan shifted your perspective. I think I really dove headfirst in terms of trying to connect with my culture via food. I think perhaps it's a product of sometimes as time goes on and you know you get one or two generations away, you see that for example, language, you might not, you may no longer speak your cultures or people's language or practice all of the same uh, religious or, or cultural practices, but food does tend to remain. And I, unfortunately, I don't speak Tagalog and food for me ended up kind of being the way that I wanted to connect. So I was kind of under the mis- apprehension that in mastering or at least successfully making (laughs) some of these dishes that it would prove something that it would you know be a big check mark in a a box and I would feel good about it be like okay I'm done questioning these sorts of things it's certain and I think in the process of learning to make this which I messed up a lot so it it took quite a bit of time and a lot of wasted egg yolks. I think I came out of it just seeing that the process is, this is so much more complex than I thought. And it's really more about coming to terms with your identity yourself. Then there's no faceless committee that's going to give you a a pass or a thumbs up. It's self-reflection and and learning more about where you come from. I remember you sort of also realizing that food was indeed sort of like a, a big cultural marker for you. And, and you write about how Filipino culture is sort of built around food, about around making it, but also sharing it and making sure others are eating and enjoying your food. Uh, I relate to that because Indian culture is very much like that. And so sort of that realization that 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 was a part of you that uh, whether or not you ended up making a leche flan to satisfaction, that that would be a part that would stay with you. 
I think that anyone who has visited the Philippines or has, you know, Filipino friends or in-laws can attest to the fact that if anything, they will feed you. It's love, it's connection. It sometimes says what you might not feel that you can can voice. And I think connecting with that aspect in terms of, you know, generosity with food and meals and company and wanting to share in it with the people I love or new people I meet is more Filipino than, than uh, many other things I could do. I love that. Can you paint a picture of a favorite childhood memory that you may have sitting around the table with your mother and your grandmother and give us a sense of what family meals looked like, what they smelt like, and sort of what emotions do memories like that bring up for you? Growing up as a kid, uh, my mom's side of the family also lived uh, nearby in, in North Carolina. So we were able to see them pretty often, which I'm incredibly grateful for. And for some of the bigger family dinners, what would happen is my family would make lumpia, uh, lumpia Shanghai, which are uh, like Filipino spring rolls. And they are a process to make, well worth it. But I remember as a little kid, my Lola and Lolo and assorted, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, great aunt, like whoever happens to be there all at the table together making them. Like you, it's kind of an assembly line. Like some people are making the filling, shaping it, folding the the wrappers, putting the egg white on top. I was never allowed to fry anything. I remember the the wok being like a no-go zone. But I just remember sitting there hearing everyone, you know, chat and talk. And I just had my task of putting one spoonful of filling in the middle of each wrapper. And yeah, just feeling surrounded by love and you can smell them frying in the background and my brother and I would always like run in and sneak some when uh, ever the opportunity struck. I love that memory that you just described of this room and this, this kitchen table being surrounded by all these wonderful you know, people that you loved so much and all of you having your sort of clearly assigned roles, kind of like well-oiled machine. <laughs> uh, how does food continue to play a role in your life today and how you connect with the past and and your Filipino culture? Most of the day I am thinking about what I'm going to eat or eating. (laughs) And I think it's been very formative getting to live in a few different places. I was very lucky to spend a year in Hong Kong and then a year in Milan and uh, now I'm in, in Dublin. And I think in all of these places, what I've loved is having both the chance to try all of these incredible new foods and techniques and, you know, meet someone whose grandma's ragu recipe I can beg from them. And then also always having the feeling of home that comes with perhaps being a little lonely in this new place. And I can make fried rice or, or sticky sticky rice or adobo and feel like that comfort and peace, I guess. So 
no matter where I've gone or where I go, I know I can like always take that part of home with me. We'll be right back after a very short break to talk more with Giselle, as well as a special guest, the person who taught her how to make the leche flan. Hi, my name is Coral, and I produce Food with E2's podcast. Now, Food with E2 believes the kitchen is the heart of the home and food is the center of a well-lived life. And if food audio is as much the center of your life as it is mine, here are a couple others from our network that I think you'd like. There's Kristen McGlory's 10 Year Strong Genius Recipes column turned interview show, The Genius Recipe Tapes. Each week you'll leave with a new recipe or technique that will completely change the way you cook. And Counter Jam, hosted by Peter J. Kim. With the help of musicians and food friends like singer-turned-sassier Khalees, podcaster-musician Rishikesh Hirwe, and rapper Ruby Ibarra, Peter seeks a deeper understanding of cultures and the identities we construct through the dishes and songs we put on repeat. Or The Sandwich Universe, a show all about, you guessed it, iconic sandwiches. Hosts and longtime BFFs Molly Boz and Declan Bond partake in philosophical debate. I mean, why even is it called grilled cheese when it's not grilled? Take listener questions and dream up delicious versions for you to try at home tonight. You can find Food with the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. Welcome back to My Family Recipe. Our guest today, Giselle Krashenfels, has just shared with us the wonderful stories and memories surrounding her family's leche flan. And now, we're thrilled to welcome her mother, Clarissa, to join the conversation. We're so excited to have mom and daughter join us today. Welcome, Clarissa. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me. No, thank you for joining. I'd love to start by asking you about the time when Giselle finally made her first successful leche flan and she called you to tell you about it. Do you remember that at all? Yes, I did. Um, I actually had asked her to take a picture of it so I can see what she did, but um, she ate her way through a lot of it, so she wasn't able to send me a picture. (laughs) She sent you a bite of it, basically. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, she was so excited that she finally made it. So I guess she took a taste test and just kind of kept tasting. (laughs) That's the best way to know if it's successful, I suppose. Yes. And I remember her describing in the essay how she lovingly, of course, blamed you for all her failed attempts at making it. Of course. And then you shared with her that, in fact, her Lola, your mother, actually gave you incorrect instructions as well when she first described the recipe to you. Do you remember struggling to make this dessert yourself? What my mother did was I kind of learned by watching and asking, you know, how you make stuff. Because we don't have written instructions you either just watch them do that or they verbally tell you how to do them because when I was younger my mother would just have us stand next to them and say watch how we cook things and so I would watch how they make things and they kind of wing it so it's like you watch what's in the pot and that's how you kind of learn it so a couple of times after I made them the um, consistency of 
the flan would be like if you've ever seen a baked macaroni and cheese, mm-hmm. that's how a few of them came out because she never actually told me that you make them with just the egg yolks. Ah, so you were adding the, the entire egg. Right. That's how I was making them. So I was wasting a few dozen eggs because I would mix them all up and then steam them. Yeah. But she never told me I had to separate them when I was would cook. And then when I got that right, I would try cook them. And then I, she never told me that you put the syrup at the bottom. And I would add the syrup on top. So, you know, it took a, a few tries before I finally got it right. Because I would ask her, I said, how, you know, how do you do this? And she would just tell me, well, you know, you've seen how it's done. So you, you know how to do them. <laughs> There's learning in figuring it out. And I'm sure it's sort of, I, can, I can almost imagine this, uh, you know, you calling your mom to tell her that it wasn't going right and her saying, well, you didn't watch closely enough when I did it. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what she would say. But, you know, she's like, you learn, you'll figure things out. So We were just asking Giselle before you joined us about her sort of, favorite food memories or memories around the dinner table as as she joined you and your mom and all your other sort of loved ones and family. I'd love you to paint a picture of your own sort of childhood memory that you have with your mom, either cooking in the kitchen or around the table. It's mostly, I guess, when it's with my kids and my nieces, with my mother, because When we were in the Philippines, my parents worked a lot, so we didn't really get to spend time with them. But when we came to the States, it was the same thing as well. So I I think it was mostly when we got older and when we got married and then we had children. Because that's when, um, once my parents retired and we all lived close to each other, a lot of times, not even during the holidays, on, on some weekends, my mother would have these days when she would get the family together. And it's mostly my kids and my nieces that she would get them in a table and she would make um, lumpia, which are egg rolls. So she would delegate what the kids would have to do so that the egg rolls would be made. And it's always like a fun, I think it's a fun thing for the kids to do. Can I just say, I love that both you, Giselle, and your mom, Clarissa, shared a similar or the same food memory of making the Olympia, all of you together in that assembly line and sharing it. Giselle, I'm wondering if you ever talk with your mom about all the questions surrounding identity that you were asking yourself and if you do it or did what did some of these conversations look like it actually wasn't really something I had brought up uh, much with my mom or my parents I know I think occasionally growing up it made comments every time uh, like standardized testing season came around and you know, there's obviously you have to, or college applications, and there's like one box to check race, and they only give you one check mark. But I think the larger conversation was 
something I had this weird fixture that I had to figure it out on my own or, you know, it wasn't a big enough issue per se. Perhaps part of it is knowing like my mom has, you know, experienced the very real effects of of racism or anti-Asian sentiment. And my problem in perspective, you know, seems so much smaller. Yeah, I can understand that. You both are now living in different countries, different circumstances currently. And I'm hoping, you know, after the pandemic that you had the chance to spend time together and that you meet often. But do you cook together when you meet? Is that something you do? And what is it that you like to make when you're together? We do cook some together. I would say we are great eaters together. Uh, near and and far, we're um, always willing to drive to find a good Filipino place. And uh, my parents have recently lived in uh, Texas and Florida, so they can be especially uh, few and far between. Challenging. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One thing we like to make together is uh, for breakfast, like spam eggs and rice or corned beef hash eggs and rice. Uh, Vienna sausage eggs and rice. It's called a mom. Remind me what it's called. The salog salog breakfast. It's always something with rice. There's always rice in there or fried rice. It's always the ham. There's always a sausage, and you kind of have to find them in like um, a Filipino store. Yeah, any canned meat will do the trick with a fried egg on top and rice. <laughs> well, yeah, ham. <laughs> it's spam. That's what. She actually always fed me on test mornings, brain food. Do you find yourself cooking that in Dublin as well, Giselle? I have actually not yet really looked for Spam in Dublin. I know, I know we have to have it. There's actually a very good Asian market. I have made quite a bit of fried rice. I've found that, you know, sometimes people have a bad impression of, of food in Ireland, but they know what they're doing with meat. Absolutely. So lots of like great leftovers of ham or beef or pork or whatnot, just go right into fried rice the next morning. Clarissa, I'd love to ask you if there's any sort of wisdom or sentiment or wish that you would like to share with your daughter as we talk about identity and how it intersects with food and family? Is there anything that you would like to share with her? I think for the most part, she has grown up to be a very mature and independent woman since she has already been to the Philippines and has traveled there. She has seen my relatives and the people that live there. She has already known and observed how they, you know, how they are. I don't think I have to share anything with her. She she already also knows how I am. Yeah. I, I don't even know how to explain it, but she's like me in a lot of ways. You see yourself in Oh, her. very much so. We are equally as stubborn, which runs about a mile deep and wide. <laughs> <laughs> but also just like your mom, 
you're probably made of quiet steel. I hope so. Sometimes it feels like we are on the same brainwave, and I hope that's something that stays forever. A lot of times. Thank you so much for listening to My Family Recipe. If you've enjoyed this episode, please follow the show on your favorite podcast platform and share it with your family and friends. And don't forget to leave us a rating and review to let us know exactly what you think of the delicious stories so far. Special thanks for this episode to Giselle and Clarissa Krashenfels. You can find the link to Giselle's essay, as well as a recipe for her grandmother's leche flan in the show notes below. My Family Recipe is produced by Dylan Hoyer and Hannah Forden. Our Julia Child Foundation Fellow is Kelly Spivey. And our audio engineer for this episode is Matt Patterson. Coral Lee is Food52 Podcast Network's producer. Our theme song is Vittoro by Aeronaut. This show is a collaboration between Food52 and Heritage Radio Network. There's much more to read and listen to. Find even more stories at food52.com and heritageradionetwork.com. Hi, I'm Hannah Forden, Heritage Radio Network's program manager and a producer of this podcast. If you're loving My Family Recipe, I have a few other recommendations to offer from HRN. Everyone has a food story, and Let's Talk About Food is a podcast dedicated to sharing stories about pleasure, scarcity, overabundance, all the ways that food delights and disappoints. From our first mouthful of applesauce in front of our adoring family, to our first bite into a jalapeno pepper, and everything in between. For fans of storytelling, this is a podcast you're going to devour. For fans of chef interviews, Inside Julia's Kitchen will introduce you to the bright lights of today's food world. Enjoy rich conversations with Yotam Adelengi, Rodney Scott, Melissa King, and other leaders in the culinary world. HRN is an independent, member-supported, nonprofit podcast network. Listen to these podcasts wherever you're listening now, or visit heritageradionetwork.org to browse our library of 35 weekly shows and more than 15,000 archived episodes. Start exploring at heritageradionetwork.org. Thank you.